So today we're talking about, and if you want to go ahead and turn to your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where he just went over the first eight verses of chapter 3, and hopefully this message will just inspire you and encourage you to read the book of Ecclesiastes to kind of give you a, a little bit of a heads up as we approach Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, of course, was written by Solomon, and Solomon was considered, and, and we believe that he was the wisest person that ever lived. And Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, and he also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And so as Ecclesiastes, he wrote that it's kind of, if you, if you read the first chapter, it's, it's kind of depressing because he kind of approaches it as life is meaningless, 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 meaningless. And it comes from a vantage point of being a skeptic in a way of what the purpose and meaning of life is. And so Solomon, uh, if you know Solomon, he kind of was real close to God and asking God to give him this wisdom, and, and God was pleased with that. He was excited that Solomon was asking for wisdom. And then Solomon got, got wealthy, got rich. People came to him to solve their problems. He would give advice, and he was well-known throughout the whole world. And then he started to let things creep into his life. He, he started marrying other foreman women to create tre- uh, peace treaties and all these things. And so he had a, a huge uh, amount of wives and concubines. And, and uh, so he uh, kind of lost his way. And then as he got older in writing Ecclesiastics, he's kind of coming from this perspective of, of the meaning of life and the purpose of life and the human race and just looking at everybody. He's kind of studying what life is about and understanding what life is. And really, uh, the meaning of life and the meaningless of life, is, and in his view, is if you don't have God, you don't, there's no reason, there's no purpose, there's no meaning. Unless you have God a part of the equation, there's no purpose and meaning to life. And he talks about this other thing, and it's why the, the image is, is orange, is because, uh, you know, everything he describes, he kind of uses the sun as kind of this constant. Now, we don't know how long the sun will exist, but he's kind of using it as a, a forever thing to measure or be a constant for us that go from generation to generation to generation. In other words, we're a blimp compared to the sun because the sun remains, And the sun stays, but yet generation after generation after generation comes and goes. And in other words, we're just a small part of that time. In the verse 1 through 8 of this chapter, he's explaining that time comes and goes for all of us. That we experience all these different things in our lifetime. And just like for all of us, we can look back at our life. And and I remember what it was like for Desert Storm and the Iraq War. And and for some of you, you remember Vietnam. And and maybe some people remember some other wars. But those are the type of things that we go through in life. We experience the joy and the pain of life. And that's talking about time. So the message today is dealing with time in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So as we look at time and what we do with it and what Solomon is learning through his studies, as he studies the human race, as he studies life here upon the earth, he has some really deep insight. And these are some of the things that we want to pass on to you today. And and hopefully by this message, you'll be encouraged to take a deeper dive in Ecclesiastes and study it because we all should be studying the word of God and understanding it for ourselves. So this question that he poses in verse 9 is this, what do workers gain from their toil? What do workers gain from this, their toil? And this is a repeated question that he asked different times throughout Ecclesiastes. 
kind of thinking about it and kind of pondering, why do we struggle? Why do we go through things and toil for work? Why do we go through, you know, for some people, maybe they're lazy, but most of us, we do a lot of work and we try to invest in a lot of things with our time to make a difference, right? We want to, we want to see value with our time and with our work. We want to do something creative or we want to build something or we want to do something of value. So he's asking the question, why do we toil? Why do we struggle? Why do we go through this period of time in our life where we continue to try to gain, to try to build up, to try to grow? And, 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 and whether it's wealth or you know, gaining assets or, or gaining things of this life, we all kind of toil, we all struggle, we all put ourselves through the grind of going through things. Why is that? What's the purpose of that? And so that's a question we all should be asking ourselves and looking at ourselves and trying to figure out why is that there. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. Verse 11, part A, part a he has made everything beautiful in, his, in its time. And there was a song when I was a kid that we used to sing, he makes all things beautiful in his time. I can't sing. I'll leave it to the talented people in the room to, to carry us through. I have other talents that God has given me, but singing is not one of them. But here's the thing, that, that as we look at this verse and we go back to verse 10, I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. In other words, he's noticing that no matter if you're a Christian, a Jewish person, no matter where you come from, there's this burden that we all have as human beings, that we have to all struggle and fight and go through things in our life. And he's seen that God has allowed this to happen in a sense. Some of these things are our own fault because we sinned against God, right? And part of it is a consequence to sin because Adam says that we will have to, or because of Adam's sin, we have to deal with the, the working of the toiling with the ground and working that and trying to build stuff. So it was upon man, it was a consequence that we have to struggle, and that women have to experience childbirth and the pain of that. And as we think about those things, and when I think about life, that we all experience the good and the bad of life, and we have to fight against the different things that we have to go against because it's not easy, right? There's a struggle. And so he recognizes the fact that God has laid this burden upon all of us and that we have this struggle as the human race. But he says... He makes everything beautiful in its time. In other words, there is a time and a place that we're going to see the beauty of that. We're going to see the, the moment where our struggle, where our, our going against whatever we have to fight against is going to lead to a place of, of, of beauty. And it's going to be like, wow, that was so worth me going through that experience and going through that struggle to see this end result. And it's beautiful in God's timing. And that should give us hope that, that there's times when we go through pain, when we go through suffering, when we lose our loved one, when we go through hardships, that if we put it in the right framework and trust God with it, God makes those things beautiful in his time. That's part of where our faith comes in is that we trust God with that, that he makes everything beautiful in its time. That there's a purpose and reason to it. But again, if you come from the aspect that you believe that there is no God, then what purpose and what meaning is life? Why do we struggle? What's the purpose of overcoming things if there is no God? 
So the struggle of time is a real thing that we need to work through, go through to understand that there is this time that we're given, this allotment of time. And part of that is facing struggles, solving problems, working through difficulties. That is going to be part of the joy in life as well, as we'll kind of talk more about. But going through the struggles of life is not something we should run away from. We should look towards asking God to give us strength and help during those times because we want to see success in the end. We want to see that thing become beautiful in its time by God's help. Looking at part B of verse 11, it says this, He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. This is a real thing that I think about with uh, people that don't believe. And maybe you're here today and you don't know if you want to believe in Christ. Maybe you're on the fence about your faith in Christ. Maybe you're coming here to learn more about God. And we thank you for being here. And we're glad you're here. We all go through times of doubts as well. Here's a great argument, though, for an atheist. For atheists that believe there is no God... This is one of the great things that Solomon has discovered that is a great thing to think about for us as Christians or non-Christians. That there is a thing inside each one of us in our hearts that calls out for eternity. We all want to live forever. We all think we're going to live forever. We all kind of plan our lives that we're going to be here the next day, the next day, the next day, the next year. We make plans ahead of time. None of us live as if we're going to die tomorrow. And yet that's the very reality we all face. We face the reality of death. We never know when that time may come. We never know when we may die. But we live our lives as if we're going to be here. In other words, eternity is in us. We are made and God created us to live forever. But yet we live in a world because of sin that we are ultimately going to die. Isn't this an interesting thing? It's a thing that every single human being has inside them. That they're living forever. They think they're going to live forever. They long to live forever. They want a fountain of youth. They want something to remove their age. They want to escape death as much as possible. They want to prolong their life as long as they can. They want to stay beautiful. But death... Death is coming. And none of us live like we're going to die tomorrow. I've made plans. I'm going to be on vacation next week. Did I hear an amen? (laughs) Well, thank you. Let it be done. Uh, But here's the thing for all of us to take in and try to, you know, realize that that's not... That's not something that evolution teaches. That's not something that other religions teach. But it is there. And we can see it all the way back to Pharaoh. We can all see it all the way back to all these other gods that are around. That there is this calling and this desire for all humanity to live forever and ever. You know, if anybody's had a loved one that's passed away, when you go to their house to clean out their belongings, you know they weren't planning to die today. They weren't planning to die the other day. They didn't make the preparations to make sure everything was in line. Unless you're told ahead of time that you're going to be dying soon, then your lifestyle changes, right? If you knew the exact day you were going to die, then your whole life would be different. But yet we know the day is coming for all of us at some point, but we don't live that way. 
We live like we don't have any care for tomorrow. That we're going to be here, and I'm going to live, and I'm going to do what I want, and I can do what I want. And whatever happens, happens. But you talk about death, no, I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to hear about death. I've got plans. Because in our heart, he's placed eternity. This is a great observation by Solomon that he recognizes this fact, that all the human race, all mankind, God has placed there. And here's the thing that it talks about in that last part of verse 11. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. Here we have this, this, the mindset to live forever. And yet we can't comprehend anything that God has done. We have no comparison to be able to understand the full magnitude of who God is and what he's about. And yet we still have this calling in us for eternity. We want eternity. We live for eternity. We want to continue on. And we want to escape death as long as long as possible. Moving to verse 12. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Ecclesiastes 13. Satisfaction and toil. I really was, was so kind of interested in this, this concept, this, this idea that, that he's bringing forth. See, what he's saying here is, is, is that the time that we're given, the satisfaction that we should have, the, the thing that we should hold on to is not how much we build or how, how extravagant we do the things that we do in our life. It's the fact that we've toiled and, and been through struggles and the satisfaction of knowing that we were able to succeed through those troubles or those struggles that we've had in life. To take those moments that maybe our family was going through a difficulty or we were going through a personal difficulty and God helped us with those things and we were able to have success. And it makes me think about the real purpose of life is that is to take these opportunities that God gives us in life to face the struggles, the turmoil, the turbulence of life and the the trouble that we face and the toil that we go through in life and enjoy those moments of success that we have. Not to hold on to them, not to brag about them, but just to enjoy life in those moments of knowing that God's with us, that God helped us, that God got us through the struggle that we faced. And it's through those toils that we learn and grow. Is, uh, I, I share a story that I, it, always, it always speaks to me about a story about a boy who had a moth and it was in its cocoon still. And the, the moth was trying to get out. And of course, with a moth, you have to kind of uses its wings and it kind of pushes its wings against the cocoon to try to break free of the cocoon. And so the little boy thought, well, I'm gonna help the, I'm gonna help the moth. I'm gonna rescue it. I'm gonna help it out. So he took a, a knife and he cut into the cocoon and it caused an opening. And so the moth could freely get out sooner. But unfortunately, the boy didn't realize that part of that struggle was to move the fluid from its wings to its body so that it could be able to be free to fly because the fluid in its wings would keep it down. So by forcing that fluid out of its wings and into the body of the moth, it could fly. And for so many of us, we don't want to go through the hardships of life, do we? We don't want to go through the difficulties of life. We don't want to, we don't want to, uh, we want to run away from problems. We don't want to face our issues or face our problems, do we? 
But with God's help, we can. And through that struggle, we find fulfillment. We find joy. We find peace. We find satisfaction. And the work that we do, we can look back and say, we were able to accomplish something with God's help, that we were able to do something. And it's in those moments that life has meaning and purpose. It's in those moments that we're able to enjoy the satisfaction of our toil. Let me read that again, what he says. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is a gift from God. In other words, God wants you to be happy with the things that you go through. Think about all the sports teams. All the sports teams, the football teams, and basketball teams. I don't know if you're like me, but I always root for the underdogs. I get excited when I see a team that, that maybe doesn't have a chance, and they, they succeed, and they do well, and it's like, wow, this is awesome. This is great. And you see the struggle, and then you see the, the work they put into it to achieve, to grow, to get better, and you're like, wow, that, that's really cool. That's really neat. That's really powerful. And if you're a West Virginia fan, you've been that way for a long time, right? <laughs> no national championship. But anyhow... You know, you go through those things, and you, and you, and you love to see the, the underdog succeed. Why is that? Because we realize in those moments of going through difficulty and going through struggles, we find satisfaction in those moments where we see the beautiful thing that God has set in time, that God makes it a beautiful thing. And it's like, wow, God, I'm so, thank you, God. Thank you. That was a, such a struggle. It was hard to go through, but, but wow, this, was, this is amazing. You, you worked it out. You helped me through this. We, we were able to succeed. We were able to do this thing. And it's by facing the problems and the issues in life, allowing God to work through it. This is a gift from God. Verse 14, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. And nothing can take, be taken from it. God, is, is, God does it so that people will fear him. And so I know for, for many of us, we can get frustrated with the politics of the world and the United States. And we can feel like, wow, our, our nation's not what it used to be or all these things. And, and we can think about the world and think about how things are different in the world now than the way, the way they were when, when maybe you were younger. But do you, do you hear what it says? What, what Solomon realizes is that mankind is just a blimp on the radar compared to all of, of eternity. That the sun will rise and set on all these generations and time will continue on. But for God, nothing can change. One of my favorite uh, chapters in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 46 and it's really God pouring his heart out to all mankind and saying, you know, I love you. I want to be with you. I want to have a relationship with you as a people. And yet you turn your backs on me and you worship these other gods that are fake, that are worthless, that are a heavy burden for your beasts to carry because they're nothing. And yet I'm the real God and you will not recognize me as being your God. And then he also says later in that chapter, he says, my purpose will stand. <laughs> Just a, a real quick statement but he says, my purpose will stand. In other words, God knows the outcome. God understands the beginning from the end. He knows. Mankind cannot do anything to change what God has set. In other words, all of our labor does not change the final outcome of whatever God has set. We can't add to it. We can't change it. 
We can't escape God. For anybody that doesn't believe, you can't escape God. And for us Christians, you can't escape God. Let me just read that one more time because I think it's just such a powerful thing. I know that everything God does will endure forever. So no matter what God sets his mind to, no matter what his purpose is, it's enduring forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away. And he does it so that we can fear him. This fear is respect. It's an awe that God is an awesome God, that God is amazing, that God is more than what we could ever fathom or ever imagine. God is more. And that God endures forever. God is not surprised. Going back to Pharaoh, God was not surprised that Pharaoh was causing these people to be hurt, to be in slavery. He knew the prayers of those that were in slavery. He heard their prayers. And in a time, he was coming to save them. And he chose the appointed time and the appointed hour. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Everything that Pharaoh did, we think that it's just to be evil to the Israelites when God had a master plan of how he was going to use the Israelites and use Egyptians to speak of his glory. And this is the big thing for me that I kind of opened up to uh, many, some years ago, but I didn't at first, was that that was not only for the Egyptians. It wasn't just for the Israelites or the Hebrew people. It was for all the world to know that there was a God. And so that 400 years of slavery was a purpose. And the beauty of it was that God was making a statement for all mankind in the world to know he is God. So that everyone would come to repentance and know there is one God to serve and to follow. Nothing can be added. In other words, all my labor, all my things, if I leave God out of the equation, nothing I do in this life will really make a difference compared to what God has set. All the things I can muster, all the things I can do myself is just a blimp on the radar. As Solomon talks about in later or earlier chapters, he talks about there's nothing new under the sun. And some people might say, well, yeah, there's, there's iPhones, there's, there's all these other technology and things like that. But when you come down to it, all those things will even pass away. There'll be some other new technology, there'll be some other new way of doing things down the road. Nothing is new to God. Ecclesiastes chapter 16, or yeah, verse 16, it says, And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. So he's basically saying, when you remove justice, there's, there's only left wickedness. When you take justice out, all that remains is wicked behavior. So there has to be a standard. There has to be a, 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 a law given. And this goes along with C.S. Lewis, what he talks about, with about society and that we all have to have rules that we're governed by. In verse 17, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. In other words, there is a time coming that God will judge all mankind for their actions, that the time that they were given will be judged. Solomon sees this, he knows this, he knows this is a reality that's coming for all of us, but it's not yet. And thankfully, 
for us Christians. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I don't have to be judged. The reason why I'm not going to be judged is not because of anything I've done myself. It's because of what Jesus did for me. Because Jesus said, I'll take his place. I'll give my life so that when God's judgment comes, I won't see Eric. I'll see my son. And so by our faith in Jesus Christ, we have a Savior who saved us from judgment because of what he did for each of us. But God will judge our deeds and our activities. Hopefully, we've all put our faith in Christ. God will bring judgment. And none of us want to hear that, right? None of us want to think about that. None of us want to be held accountable. It's interesting because we deal with this in life too. We want other people to be judged, right? But we don't want judgment to come our way. When a judgment comes our way, then we don't like it. But when judgment is on other people, we're, we're cool with that. We're like, okay, that's cool. I, I see, I, that's important. But when it comes our way, then we don't want that. Last verse I want to share here this morning is this. Verse jumping down to 22. And it is interesting because he talks about animals. And he talks about the fact that animals and us, pretty much the same slate. We're, we're in the same situation. You know, we live and we die. I know for me and Shelly, it's been hard, especially for Shelly. We, we've we had a, a, a cat, a Siamese cat. And her name was Trinity, 21-year-old cat. She lived a long time, right? We got her when we first got married, and I remember her being a cute little kitten, and we were sitting on the couch, and she was trying to stay awake, but she was, she was nodding off, and she, she, fell, she started falling asleep. But she was trying really hard to fight and stay awake. You know, life, life is, 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 is the same for, for us and animals. We, we have the same fate. And unfortunately, because of our sin and, and mankind's sin, they have to face death too. Again, that's the reality of life, is that we're all going to die. And the real question for all of this is, that what are we going to do with the time that we're given? And so as we close... We read this last verse in chapter 3. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? See, I think there's a lot of us that we want to try to plan for the future and we, we try to build things and there's a lot of people and it fascinates me too as you think about Jesus. Jesus never wanted a statue built after him. Because he wasn't here for a, a, a generation or a couple generations. He was here for all of eternity, right? He wasn't building things to be built here as a kingdom here upon earth. He was doing things for a kingdom that was going to last forever and ever. We're a part of a kingdom that have followed Christ and have accepted Christ. We're a part of an eternal kingdom. And so the things that we try to build in this life, we try to build it up. And there's a lot of people that try to build things up for their, for their kids, for the future. But, but what, what, what Solomon is saying, you're doing all that work for the future, but you have no guarantee what it's going to be like down the road. You're not going to be there to see what happens next. So don't live your life planning for the future. Live your life as, a, as someone that is given an amount of time to make a difference in this world now. 
Don't be thinking about what can be done 20, 30 years from now. Well, what could you be doing now for the sake of Christ, for the sake of God? Living your life in such a way that you take the time you're given to make a difference in this life now. Again, he says, for who can bring them to see what will happen after them? In other words, I don't have a chance to go in the future and see how my kids are going to take everything I've given to them and I leave behind to see them take it somewhere and do something else with. He's saying, enjoy what God has given you today. Take the time that you have now. Invest it. Make a difference now. Work through the problems that you have. Allow God to have the victory in that. If you think about it, Romans talks to us about this. Paul talks to us about this. That perseverance builds, you know, builds character and character leads us to hope. It's going through the struggles of life. It's going through the hardships of life that make us better. And by facing our issues, by facing our problems and allowing God to help us through this, we can have success in Christ and make a difference in the world. Don't live your life preparing for the future and what's to come for your kids or your grandkids. Live your life in such a way that whoever's around you now in this moment, in this time, is made, uh, is made and changed and, and different now. So as we close, going back to time, what are you going to do with the time that you're given? As you go through these seasons of life, the good, the bad, and verse eight, or verse one through verse eight, what are you going to do with the time that you're given today? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I would encourage you, I would implore you to know that God loved you enough to send his one and only son to die for each one of our sins. And no matter how filthy or how dirty you feel or how you feel like you failed God in some way, God is wanting and desiring to forgive you and he wants a relationship with you. And if you choose to accept Christ and confess him as Lord and Savior of your life, he comes in and has fellowship with you. And he sends you uh, the Holy Spirit to live inside you, to give you this boldness, this peace, this comforter that comes to us that we can face our struggles and our toil with, other, with extra confidence and boldness because of what he does. And so I'd invite you. And if you're somebody that is a believer and have believed in Christ, Let's make sure we invest our time wisely, that we enjoy the moments that we're given. And I'm bad about that sometimes. I jump onto the next thing and I don't take the time to really enjoy what God is doing and appreciate and spend time with my family eating and drinking and just talking about what God has done and celebrate what God has taken place in my life. We're given just the amount of time to do something great for him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here that needs to come to know you, that you would lead them, that you would guide them and direct them to accept you as Lord and Savior of their life. And Lord, I thank you for the time you've given us all. I thank you for opening the door for us to, to have opportunity to live a life. And even though we face hardships and struggles, I know my life has not been easy. I know many of us have been through difficulty after difficulty after difficulty but Lord, there are moments in time where we see your glory, we see your power, we see uh, the beauty of what life is about. 
And it's in those moments we should enjoy and cherish and hold on to, causing us to continue to strive and and persevere and build ourselves into a great person of character and having the hope in you to know that you'll get us through it. You'll walk us through the difficulties of life. And it's in those moments that we can see you at work. And Lord, for those in the world that don't believe you, that think that life is meaningless, as we start in the Ecclesiastics with the meaningless of life. And, and if without you, life is meaningless. But Lord, with you, life has purpose and meaning because you've set eternity in our heart to live with that forever and ever with you. So help us to continue to live for you and let our light shine. And thank you so much that you have sent your son to die on a cross for our sins that we may have life and have it to the full in you. In your name, Jesus, amen.